the Greater Bay Area, unfortunately, is not going to be able to do that. Thank you all very much. Have a good week. You heard there Stuart Allcroft, Chairman of City Trust, Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at Union Boncare Privé, and our International Economics Correspondents over in Washington, D.C., Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, down in Australia, the SX200 is up about a third of a percent. It's also green over in South Korea, where the Cosby has risen three quarters of a percent shortly after the open. Nikkei 225 in Japan surging ahead uh, up two percent now. Futures markets indicating the Hang Seng is going to add about 230 points or so at the open. That's about 0.9 percent. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil uh, has, is rallying at $47.94 a barrel, but gold uh, slipping a little bit at $1,807 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast, mainly fine. Maximum temperature is going to be about 26 degrees. The outlook is for it to be mainly fine in the next few days as well. The weather will start turning cooler from Saturday. Temperatures in the morning falling below 20 degrees early next week. The temperature right now out at the observatory is 22 degrees and it's 80% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Samantha Butler has the half-hour news. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, gives her delayed policy address this morning with one announcement expected to be subsidised jobs in the Greater Bay Area for young Hong Kong people. Damon Pang reports. The chief executive's fourth policy blueprint comes at one of the most challenging times in the history of Hong Kong. The global economy is reeling from coronavirus and unemployment here is expected to surge soon from already high levels. Sources say her policy address will include plans for a government subsidy to encourage young people to take up jobs in the Greater Bay Area. This echoes a call made by President Xi Jinping in Shenzhen last month, and RTHK understands it will involve thousands of jobs paying up to $20,000 a month. As jobs increasingly disappear amid the coronavirus pandemic, many political parties have also called for an unemployment subsidy, but they are likely to be disappointed. It's understood Mrs. Lam is only willing to relax the asset limit for social welfare applicants. The chairman of the Lang Kwai Fong Group, which operates bars and restaurants, says he's mystified as to why authorities shut down bars but not dance halls, where there's been a cluster of over 180 coronavirus cases in recent days. Bars, nightclubs and bathhouses will be forced to close from tomorrow, but authorities say it's difficult to close dance venues as not all of them have a licence. Alan Zeman says bars have been following all health guidelines successfully with zero COVID-19 breakouts, and he hopes the current round of closures will be short-lived. So far, the bar owners have done all they can to keep this virus at bay, and they've done a pretty good job up to now. They've met many times with the government, with FEHD. They've done everything possible to be on side, and they've actually been good boys and good girls through the whole thing because the cluster was in dance halls, and so they feel totally unjustified, and hopefully it'll be very short and they can reopen. The U.S. President-elect Joe Biden has introduced key nominees to his cabinet, saying it would be a team to reunite America and lead the world, not retreat from it. Speaking in his home state of Delaware, Mr. Biden said his administration would confront America's adversaries but not reject its allies, a dig at President Trump's approach. He added that he wouldn't engage in needless military conflicts but would use the experience of working with partners to keep America safe.
Joe Biden's nominee to be Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, said America needed to proceed with both humility and confidence on the world stage. He said the U.S. had an unrivaled ability to bring other countries together, but also needed their cooperation. Avril Haines, nominated as Director of National Intelligence, the first woman to hold the post, said she wouldn't hold back from telling him uncomfortable things. Mr. President-elect, you know that I have never shied away from speaking truth to power. And that will be my charge as Director of National Intelligence. I've worked for you for a long time, and I accept this nomination knowing that you would never want me to do otherwise, and that you value the perspective of the intelligence community, and that you will do so even when what I have to say may be inconvenient or difficult. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Anna, good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. Today we're talking about COVID measures and the contact tracing app and after nine, foreign judges on the Court of Final Appeal. Bars and nightclubs, as we've been hearing, are to be closed again as the authorities struggle to contain the new wave of infections with 83 cases confirmed yesterday. It'll be the third time that bars have been ordered to shut since the pandemic began. And Carrie Lam says the government is going to force restaurants and other premises to sign up for its coronavirus contact tracing app and it could eventually become mandatory for customers to take part in the tracking system. Well, how do you feel about making the app mandatory for customers? What about those closures of bars and nightclubs and bathhouses? Give us a thought, uh, give us a call with your thoughts. Our number is 233-88266. You can email backchat at rthk.hk or go to our Facebook page, that's backchat on rthk radio 3. And then after nine, as I say, we're going to be discussing the UK's latest six-monthly report on Hong Kong and their suggestion to review the arrangements for judges, uh, British judges sitting on Hong Kong's Court of Final Appeal. We're going to be joined by uh, Henry Litton, a former judge of the Court of Final Appeal, and uh, Emily Lau for that uh, second part of the programme, so do stay tuned. Uh, once again, backchat.rthk.hk is our email address. A couple of comments related to... Well, first, one comment related to yesterday's uh, discussion about uh, Trump. Uh, Anthony says, uh, thrilling discussion on yesterday's second half. Dan and Andrew are great guests. The rumours seem to be true. Hugh was sweating like Rudy Giuliani. God bless America and the world. Uh, Matthew says, uh, referring to today's topic, uh, undying loyalty and patriotism is such a fragile thing when it comes to CCP and Hong Kong government. This morning, like clockwork, we had Alan Zeman on RTHK saying that he always supports the government and then quickly go on to once again whine about how his sector is being forced to contribute to help keeping Hong Kong people and the broader economy safe during the fourth wave. What are you going to do if the government and the party keep ignoring your view and damaging your self-interest, Alan. Vote for the opposition, protest, immigrate. Welcome to our world. Of course, somehow bewilderingly, the dance clubs have not been asked to close. I wonder if this is because their patrons are even more powerful and patriotic than you and your industry. Maybe you should learn to dance. That comes uh, from Matthew. We're joined by uh, Joseph Lee now, a former healthcare sector lawmaker, and Francis Fong, honorary president of the Hong Kong Information Technology Federation. Uh, Professor Lee, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Thank you for, for joining us now. Um, uh, Good morning. What, what do you think about the, the, the latest measures? Do you think they're appropriate? Do you think they go far enough, too far? Well, I guess the, uh, with the uh, live home safety, this uh, mobile apps launch, uh, I think, uh, 
more than a week. And it, it, um, it looks that um, the response rate is not very promising uh, because basically it's voluntary. And also the purpose is to have, uh, it's not a preventive measure. It's, kind of, it's a kind of, we call it a downstream measure. They're trying to track it, the um, daily activities of the people who might be in high risk on, or otherwise, and so that um, if in case you get infected, you can have uh, perform the contact tracing, that kind of um, uh, effect. But as you can see that now, uh, this uh, mobile apps, are, are, are not commenting on the um, smart or uh, information technology kind of issue. But as for most of the people, especially those elderly, and if they are not good, uh, they don't know how to use it, and even though they just um, with others help and try to scan, uh, try to download the apps, and, and they might have problems in um, just scan a QR code for uh, whatever the entry attacks or even the restaurant canteen, uh, that, that they become problematic. So as far as um, uh, implementing this uh, mobile apps uh, is concerned, from a user's perspective, it's not very user-friendly. I just didn't know whether now the government trying to switch a mandatory kind of measure whenever every, uh, uh, when uh, everyone going to a restaurant canteen, they have to scan the QR code, otherwise they can't uh, enter in that. Uh, that that cause a, a kind of chaotic response from the community. What happens if you don't have a smartphone? Well, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, I guess most of the elderly, especially for those they are using a kind of a safety measure for their home, that kind of measure, they might they may not have a, a, smart, a smartphone. So how could they um, scan a QR code or even download the, the apps if they're going to, let's say, go yum cha, have a tea, morning tea, or restaurant, or they to have a fast food store, and get some uh, a snack. Well, they, they're not permitted to enter that. That, that, cause, that cause a lot of problems. Hmm. What, what's the problem? Is it the, this particular app? Is it the whole idea of uh, an app? Is it, It's a good in principle, isn't it? It's... Well, of course. But that is, uh, as I just mentioned, it's a kind of contact tracing measure for those high-risk people and try to act as a reminder for recording of the daily activities of an individual. Uh, but but this is all a kind of we call it a downstream measure, as you can see now, and the the, uh, the fourth wave is coming. Uh, the reason why the fourth wave is coming is because the upstream measure, or uh, because the preventive measure is not doing well, and so the government is trying to let's say, well put the focus on a downstream measure by uh, alerting people, but you have to uh, download these mobile apps, you have to help in contact tracing. Well, that is totally ridiculous as far as preventive measure is concerned. What, so, what, what would be a preventive measure? What are you thinking and what do you mean by that? Well, as you can see now, the COVID-19 uh, uh, COVID is now spreading, the fourth wave is coming. So, uh, as you can see, some of the uh, preventive measure, like uh, a tightening, even though the, 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 the government is trying to tighten the social distancing measures, and also, uh, but uh, as you can see, some of the exemption cases are still importing in Hong Kong. That caused a lot of uncertainty. And that's why you can see uh, uh, the fourth wave is, uh, the number of fourth wave uh, infected people is, is, is uh, increasing. So I guess the, the government has to go in parallel. Well, not just trying to uh, stress that uh, now we have to uh, do some contact tracing only, but have to uh, step up the uh, preventive measure. But now uh, I don't see the government is doing very well in, in, the, in the upstream. So why are they focusing on restaurants and um, why do they be the ones to have the app? Why not taxi drivers? What, what about all the other people who are in close contact with the public? 
Well, that, that is a very interesting question. I would like the government to, to respond to this because, well, obviously, a uh, restaurant or can, a canteen or even cafe or fast food shop, it's a kind of uh, uh, where people will gather around. Mm-hmm. But as far as it's not, it's not uh, only this, this uh, area will be the high risk. Uh, as you just mentioned, taxi driver or tax, even public transport. Well, why do people have to uh, take on a QR code for, for public transport? Obviously, well, as far as technicality is concerned, it may be even more te- uh, even even more problematic if the government tries to put it mandatory for people. You uh, like you en- en- enter an uh, uh, enter a bus, you have to put all this QR code that cause a lot of problem. So the government find an easy way out of uh, 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 symbolically uh, implementing this mandatory measure for restaurant because it's e- easy to put the burden onto the owner or the uh, 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 the the, the, the um, the cafe or the restaurant, instead of put the uh, put the uh, uh, responsibility on the individual, that is totally ridiculous. Meanwhile, we can all still pack into the MTR like sardines. Yes, as, as one of the legend, uh, former, uh, uh, my former colleagues mentioned, uh, uh, when you are going into an uh, MTR, you feel like uh, in a sardine or, or, or whatever. It's very congested, mm. so it's a very high risk. Uh, and also, now uh, the, the government might consider. Uh, and, and, and try to uh, seize all the uh, schooling, maybe a star put into a, a standstill. Uh, but still, a lot of students are gathering around every day. So, why, why, if you go to do to, 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 to be uh, contact tracing, why not mobile, uh, mo- uh, use the uh, mobile apps to uh, uh, encourage the students to put all this instead of putting the burden to the restaurant? What do you think about the uh, the closures, the the uh, the bars and the uh, nightclubs being targeted in, in this particular round of measures? Uh, do you think that's uh, uh, appropriate again? Well, obviously, uh, I think it's the kind of bring the victim kind of approach because every time um, when the uh, number of infected cases shooting up, like like the, the first third wave and now coming the fourth wave, and the government tries to find a victim to bring uh, every day, every time, unfortunately. Uh, the, the uh, restaurant, the and canteen would be the first one because uh, they, they, that, is the on, that is the only measure the government says is much more easy to do to do this, to tighten this so this thing measure for people to uh, hold the restaurant or people to enter the restaurant, the cafe, and it's uh, easier to do than other, uh, other, uh, otherwise. And other measures, it, it might be difficult to implement in, this, in other high-risk areas. Okay. So the, I, I don't think the government is uh, very focusing in, in all these, uh, even uh, a dance measure is very focused. All right. Well, also with us, I say, is Francis Fong from the uh, information, Hong Kong Information Technology Federation. Good morning to you, Mr. Fong. Thanks for joining us Good again. Good morning. Uh, what's the response been like? Uh, it, I think it was described as lukewarm uh, when the app was first launched. Uh, what sort of response do you see to this uh, contact tracing app in Hong Kong? Uh, I think is, uh, people are questioning about whether the app is taking... Uh, any privacies from the users, and so uh, the uh, government is declaring a lot of things that that's not. Uh, they are not. They are not taking any of the uh, privacy stuff. But, uh, but I think the success of the uh, apps, the, the this reform safety apps, the it's how to make it successful. There are three criteria, but they, they these three criteria are very very difficult to meet. Number one, you have to have a lot of people download it, which is now the government are saying that they are thinking to enforce or I mean to force the people to download it or try to make a law or whatever. So 
is number one, you need a lot of people to download it, which is a very difficult task. Number two, you have to have a lot of praise to put up that QR code. Uh, now the uh, government saying that um, they only put the QR code on the um, uh, restaurant uh, bars and some of the uh, public uh, uh, places. But I think, to my opinion, uh, the more the places that have this QR code you can scan, the better the, the contact tracing uh, app will be, uh, be effective. So um, uh, I think it's better if anyone would have a business registration, they should have a QR code. But then we are talking about half a million of uh, places will need a QR code like that. I don't know how, how fast it can, it can be done. Um, uh, number three, even though every citizen has the app, uh, uh, regardless of whether they have a smartphone or not first. I mean, uh, we, we, we're talking about like, oh, there are senior people that doesn't have a smartphone. Okay, even everyone have a smartphone, um, you still need to have to ask them to scan every single time when they go there uh, into a place. So uh, we talk about like 10, 20, 30 times, scan the goggles, and then you have to press leave when you're leaving the place. So this is another thing that which is very difficult to to ask people to do it, and this is why we're comparing this uh, contact tracing app, the Leave Home Safe, with the one in uh, uh, in the state. The, the, the technology is making uh, uh, by Apple and Google, which is called the COVID nineteen Exposure Notification Express. How, how does that work? Is that different? Yeah, that's different. You when compare to the Leave Home Safe. Leave home safe is more like a semi-auto thing. The, uh, the COVID-19 exposure notification uh, 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 express is using API built by Apple and Google, which is actually based on uh, Bluetooth exchange technology. So uh, every time when you approach, uh, when you are in a place, for example, when you're, when you're on the bus, you will, you will find your Bluetooth receiving uh, 50, 100 uh, Bluetooth MAC address. So they store all these MAC address, um, and they try to, um, I, if I'm not wrong, they, they have encrypted and, and match it up with a random number. But at the end of the day, when you have installed an app developed by the government using this technology, um, once they, you are in a, in a, confined, you, you, in a, in a space that has a confirmed case, they will, uh, they will send you a push notification. And you will, you will notice that um, uh, you are uh, with a confirmed case of, uh, 14 days, uh, uh, within 14 days. So, and, and then they ask you to go for a medical consultation. Um, uh, Apple and Google says that they, they didn't uh, ask for uh, any uh, location uh, information, nor they will get, uh, take any uh, privacy stuff. So basically the app what is enabled is automatically uh, uh, recording every of these uh, single uh, uh, Bluetooth address, and and once um, uh, and and but they, all, they also need to have a lot of people installed. Yeah, I think I think that's the same criteria. But and then you don't need to scan the place every time. They don't lock your location anyway. So I think that's a better idea to to do it. I don't know why the government at the very beginning they didn't they didn't uh, take this approach because. Um, the uh, technology uh, was available since uh, April uh, 2020 already. Okay. If I wasn't a, a 
a cynical investigative journalist with 30 years' experience, I would wonder why the private clubs of Hong Kong, four of which now have clusters of cases, the Hong Kong club, the football club, the cricket club, and the jockey club, I would wonder why this is not being imposed on them. What would your response to that be? I, I think all, all, all of these venues should have been uh, treated the same. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and you can see, actually, uh, there is another uh, a group of uh, confirmed cases uh, actually affect, uh, affect uh, the uh, jockey club and the two of the clubhouse has been closed. So I think four, definitely... Four of them have been. Oh, four of them. Okay, yes. so, so, so definitely uh, uh, this uh, clubhouse, uh, no matter it's dancing club or jockey club or whatever, I think all, all these cases are actually affected. I, I know you've got to go, but briefly, you know, how is this, is this worked in other places? I think there were mixed results in some European countries and so, and so on. Is there anywhere where this has really been a big success, these contact tracing apps? I, I think uh, the, the, the first idea of having this contact tracing app is a supplementary thing. I, uh, I agree that actually uh, the, the primary thing of prevent, prevent uh, the, the, the virus has to be done, like blocking all the exemption case causing the broader, instead of only rely on technology to uh, trace uh, the patient. Because I even even other countries using the, the Apple and Google uh, COVID-19 uh, technology it is not very promising unless a lot of people download the app and, and really use it. Okay. Well, Francis Fong, uh, Honorary President of the Hong Kong Information Technology Federation, thanks for, for joining us this morning. A couple of uh, comments on Facebook. Uh, Victoria says, I don't support using the app. Generally, I am selective about apps on my phone because a lot of them have traffic tracking ability and keep tabs on what I Google stroke search, what I buy or what newspapers stroke magazines I read. I don't even have parking shop or welcome apps. It's my right. I wish my data leaked. Government or not, COVID or not. That's uh, from Victoria. Paul says this Leave Home Safe app is only available on the Hong Kong iTunes app store. Uh, many long-term foreigners like myself only have an overseas iTunes account. Also, with the opening up of the travel bubble to Singapore, there will be many visitors coming here who also don't have access to Hong Kong iTunes. The government should look to broaden the reach uh, of this app. That comes uh, from Paul. Uh, uh, Joseph Lee, do you, is, I mean, is there a fundamental problem or is it a matter of just kind of improving, tweaking the, the app? Is, it, is the idea sound? I'm quite astonished that, as Francis just mentioned, well, uh, it seems to me that technologically, uh, the Hong Kong government in developing this app is kind of not up-to-date, I would say. I should not say out-of-date, but it's not up-to-date. Well, they, they choose not a very easy or user-friendly way, like Francis just mentioned. If there's apps available based on this kind of platform, maybe the government should, should, uh, the government should have known that by using a uh, light Bluetooth would, would be much more user-friendly at that kind of issue. But uh, 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 at this stage, I just wonder whether the government is uh, always trying to do some sort of in symbolic, symbolic measure. If that is contact tracing, you can use IT, so we have a uh, live home safe, that kind of measure. Symbolically, uh, just we do it, uh, well, we have already had this app and for contact tracing. Well, that would be totally disappointing. So uh, I think at this stage, the government, uh, well, I'm not uh, trying to say that uh, now the government trying to uh, develop another uh, new uh, mobile app for contact tracing. But in lieu of this, the government tried to uh, encourage 
people to download this app and simplify uh, the scanning or procedure, or even uh, the, the, even though the, uh, even the person that doesn't, uh, does not have to test lift, uh, left, if they're going to left that uh, uh, restaurant, that kind of uh, technical kind of um, uh, issue. But the government might try to use, uh, encourage people by using incentive. Uh, like uh, you, you, you just, I just uh, come to know that uh, some of the shopping mall try to encourage people to download this app by having some uh, uh, coupon. If you uh, 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 download the app and scan the QR code in my shopping mall, so you have a kind of incentive of having additional shopping coupon that, that, that is measured. That is, that is from something private. But as far as the government concerned, why the government have to do to, to encourage incentive that if uh, people download this app? and scan the QR code in the restaurant or other places or other high-risk area. Would the government consider have a, or, or the person might have a kind of a free testing and screening kind of measure uh, uh, to uh, encourage uh, people to do this? Yeah, but I guess... Then well, the government have to open, uh, open, the, uh, open the, uh, the mind to uh, think naturally and encourage people to do this. That might help because, well, if you use this kind of measure, that, that might encourage people to do a sort of preventive measure upstream instead of a down, downstream measure uh, for contact tracing. Because uh, it, it, it costs not uh, very fortune. If the government tries to say, if you download a QR code in a restaurant, and if the same person downloads this five times or, uh, or a day or three times a day, well, you might get a free kind of uh, testing and screening. But, in, but in you, a, could, a, you, you could argue that the administration has been actually very reluctant to, in, to enforce mandatory uh, you know, actions on on people uh, in Hong Kong uh, with the with the testing with the with the community testing uh, that was that wasn't made mandatory uh, with this app again that's not being made mandatory. This is in contrast to the way things are doing and we've proved very effective, of course, in 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 uh, the mainland. Uh, so you know, you could say that the government is actually not rushing to do this. But since we do keep getting these waves and we do have a very worrying situation at the moment, maybe it is time to get a little bit stricter. Yes, right. And, and other thing is, well, it, it's a social responsibility of every citizen in Hong Kong that uh, we in combating COVID-19. And, and so the government will try to do some sort of incentive measure. Obviously, universal testing and screening is uh, very argumentative. Well, there's a lot of issue yet to be discussed. But uh, 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 go, go with the uh, parallel with this um, uh, home, uh, live home safety uh, uh, kind of mobile app the government might consider other kind of incentive to encourage people instead of mandatory and put the blame on the restaurant uh, 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 that is not uh, very uh, effective measures. Mm, okay. Joseph, let's get deep down and dirty on this one. There's a whole sector of society that we seem to be looking the other way about and that's the sex workers. Now my moles tell me that there's a fresh crop of ladies in uh, Yulong and Yamate in recent weeks. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that their customers will go there by taxi, and that's not ruling out the taxi drivers who might be um, availing themselves of services too. Now, as you probably know, the bulk of sex worker activity with local um, punters is in the early morning, 6 to 8 a.m. is the busy time. Now, as, is the government making any uh, effort to you know, look at this area of society, which is <laughs> undoubtedly there? And it's high well, risk. Uh, you, you just put on a very uh, good example that's in all these preventive measures, even in contact tracing. I don't think the government is strong enough in implementing all these related measures, be it a preventive measure or downstream contact tracing measures. Will the government know uh, what is going on? Are those high risk groups? Well, uh, those sex worker uh, for contact tracing might be difficult 
but the government has no. I, I don't think the government at this stage showing any strong measures to let the people well know that well uh, the government is doing the best uh, or uh, making every attempt to do their best to uh, either concentrate on preventive measure. Uh, as you can see that now recently these two uh, these two particular groups cause a lot of problems. Uh, a lot of infected cases emerge from this, and so. Well, what, what, what the government uh, uh, have done uh, in the past days is just let people know this is a high-risk group. But so what? Uh, what next? Uh, any preventive measure or uh, any uh, post-hoc measure that will try to uh, let people know uh, uh, the government is trying to, in, uh, uh, to, to at least prevent the spread of measure from this group. Uh, I, I just really don't know. Okay. Uh, a couple of emails. Uh, Frank says, please stay focused on the elephant in the room. Incredible. The 21 dance studios listed by government being part of super spreading have not been shut. Elite government collusion or maybe Teresa and Carrie dance. The clubs are owned and patronised by CCP, patriotic, rich and infamous, standing behind a front of often foreign dudes doing their runs and pouncing on desperate tie ties addicted to tango. These patriots have now compromised the safety of the city and those infected even complain about quality accommodation at government and bars are closing getting more and more grotesque that's uh, the take of uh, frank and uh, paul says uh, back chat mandating a qr scan for eating at restaurants is simply another government draconian measure if we follow the science it shows us that the group most at risk are the elderly and as anna has quite rightly pointed out we're all packing the mtr trains surely it's time to discourage the elderly from traveling by withdrawing the fare subsidy on public transport I know it's not a popular suggestion, but if this is all about public health rather than tracing people's every move, then it makes perfect sense. That comes uh, from Paul. Thank you very much indeed for those comments. Thank you very much indeed to uh, Joseph Lee there, former healthcare sector lawmaker, also professor at the Open University. Uh, we're going to be talking about the issue of foreign judges on the Court of Final Appeal, and the, that uh, UK report on uh, uh, the first uh, six months of this year, uh, with Henry Lytton and others after the news at nine. Please stay tuned for that. Anna, I'm still trying to get my head around the six to eight revelation that you mentioned there. Anyway, did, did you not they, know that? I did Hugh? not know that. Well, you're clearly so not a They're finishing then. time for money talk. Uh, yeah, yeah. The weather, mainly fine. Maximum temperature about 26 degrees. The outlook, mainly fine. In the next few days, 22 degrees now. Humidity is at 80%. Have rushed hundreds of disaster management personnel to coastal areas as a powerful cyclone barrels towards the shore, bringing heavy rain and strong winds. Weather forecasts say the cyclone is set to cross the coast of Tamil Nadu as a very severe storm late tonight. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Bank Chat on a Wednesday morning. A reminder that the Chief Executive will be giving the uh, policy address uh, this morning from uh, 11 o'clock. We'll be broadcasting uh, that live uh, so on Radio 3, so uh, do stay tuned for that. Uh, Mike Weeks and myself will be uh, introducing that, so uh, stay tuned for the, the very latest uh, on that later today. Uh, and still no word, I'm afraid, no confirmation on whether there will be a phone-in. Uh, with uh, Chief Executive or the Chief Secretary on Friday's uh, programme. That's the latest uh, I've heard. And it's uh, something that we've been having for the last, um, I don't know, since the days of Donald Jung. Um, this year, uh, it's still up in the air, I'm afraid. So uh, we were talking in the first part of the programme uh, back chat this morning about the uh, idea of a uh, contact tracing uh, app. 
uh, for uh, COVID. We're turning in the second part of the programme, between now and 9.30, to the issue of the uh, British government's uh, uh, six-monthly report on Hong Kong and uh, the idea floated in that report that uh, uh, foreign judges, uh, British judges on the Court of Final Appeal may no longer be uh, permitted. Uh, Just one more email on our topic, our first topic today from Bowen. Uh, who says, personally, what I find worrying is that as we all get so excited talking about the latest technology to be implemented for contact tracing, vaccine development, and so on, nobody seems to be talking about what actions are being taken to make sure we won't have another virus jumping the animal-human barrier several years down the road. It's good that we have the technology to deal with crises like COVID-19, but I thought we were all agreed that much could have been done which wasn't done to prevent a situation like COVID from happening in the first place. Why has there been no reporting on what actions have or have not been taken to foresee stall the type of situation in the Wuhan South China seafood wholesale market from happening again. That is from Bowen. Backchat at rthk.hk once again is our email uh, address. Uh, we're joined now by uh, Henry Litton, former judge of the Court of Final Appeal, and Emily Lau, a former Democratic Party lawmaker. Uh, Emily Lau, maybe if we could start with you. Good morning and, and thanks for joining us. Morning. Uh, so, as I say, uh, in, in that uh, six-monthly report from the uh, British government, uh, it, it does say that uh, uh, the Secretary for, Secretary for State uh, says, I have begun consultations with the President of the UK Supreme Court concerning when to review whether it consider, continues to be appropriate for British judges to sit as non-permanent judges on the Hong Kong Court of Final Appeal. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, of course, that's deeply worrying, and, uh, and, and that has been a topic for quite some time. Uh, when I went to London in July last year, uh, I met the uh, head of the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House of Commons, Tom Tugendhat, and he already floated the idea that uh, the British judges may uh, withdraw. And then when I went to the Foreign Office, the officials there were quite horrified, saying, how, how come MPs are talking about this? Because I think they knew that it would be a very catastrophic event. And then if you look at the uh, Foreign Secretary who spoke to the Foreign Affairs Committee on the 6th of October this year, he was asked about this issue again. And he was, he was quite clear that they were thinking about it and the key point is to make sure the British judges do not give a veneer of legitimacy to this process. If uh, judicial autonomy is being eroded and freedoms are disappearing, then they will consider it. And of course, you remember on the 18th of September, when the Australian judge, James Spiegelman, when he resigned, that caused a big stir. And people asked the other foreign judges whether they would resign en masse. And uh, they said, no, 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 they will not. So obviously they had discussed it. And they said, oh, they have confidence in our current uh, chief justice, uh, uh, Mr. Ma. But Mr. Ma is going to step down in uh, January. Mm. So this is a very worrying thing. And I think if they should go or if they should the whole issue that they are thinking of leaving altogether, and I think they will leave together, that would, be, that would be terrible. And that would be terrible to the business community, the financial sector, and to the whole of Hong Kong. So uh, it is very worrying, and I'm glad you have uh, Mr. Litton coming on, because he is one person among others 
who is proposing that we should reform the judiciary. And on the 11th of November, on this uh, the 30th anniversary of the Basic Law seminar, uh, the, he was quoted by the deputy director of the Hong Kong Macau State Office, Zhang Xiaoming, and saying that, you know, this uh, judiciary needs to be reformed. And, and this is very worrying. And so maybe they will apply this patriotism test not just to legislators and candidates, but to civil servants, uh, to district councillors, and to judges. And maybe judges could be disqualified. But Emily, can we wind back to why would the Brits want to do this? Isn't this akin to the pandemics withdrawing from, from LegCo? If you, if you walk away in a huff, you, you, you have no influence at all. Exactly. Well, they, they understand. They said the, the British judges are there to provide, I think in the words of the Foreign Secretary, to maintain this guarantor function and to ensure, you know, that there's judicial autonomy, the freedoms of the people. But if all these things cannot be guaranteed, if they are being eroded, so that's why they say they will not stay, hang around to give this veneer of legitimacy when this legitimacy is disappearing very fast. Well, they can open their mouths and speak, can't they? Sorry? They can open their mouths and speak. They don't have to sit there like puppets. They can. And that's why the Foreign Secretary told the Foreign Affairs Committee in October, he said, well, there have not been any cases of the uh, national security law going to these, you know, high courts yet. And so we wait and see. So if the cases go there and if the people see that, oh, wow, gee, they are acting under pressure or they, they cannot really have a free and fair and just trial, then they will go. And if there's breach of freedom, or but you may say that's happening already, or breach of judicial autonomy, these are all the uh, sort of the benchmarks that's been laid down. And if these things happen, then it will be triggered. All right. Well, let's go to Mr. Lytton now, uh, Henry Lytton. Good morning to you, Mr. Lytton. Good day. Thanks for, 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 for joining us. Uh, what, what do you think of this uh, suggestion from, as I say, from the Secretary State in the, in the UK that uh, uh, British judges would be withdrawn from the Court of Final Appeal? Well, firstly, I, I agree with Emily Lau that the situation is worrying. I've got two broad points to make. Number one, from day one, all judges, including, of course, the overseas judges, know that they were invited or appointed to the Court of Final Appeal to judge according to the common law system under the principle of one country, two systems. Now, that is known and accepted from day one. The British judges have, without any exception, served with high distinction for the last 22 years, and not only high distinction, but also with high degree of discretion in that, on the whole, where a matter before the court concerns purely local conditions, local and social conditions, they tend to, as it were, slip into the background and not put themselves forward prominently. It is only really in relation to truly common law matters where uh, they um, hold themselves forward. And of course, uh, on many cases, um, they've been invited to uh, give the third judgment. So you're saying they self-censor their participation? Sorry? 
So you're saying they self-censor their participation? I would call it self-censorship. It's really just people who are sensitive to the social environment in which they serve. Not a matter of censorship at all, no. But, you know, exercise of judicial wisdom, I would say. Judicial wisdom, what's that? <laughs> being wise, judicially, being aware of the true depth of your responsibilities when you are a judge, because you're not just practicing in a vacuum of law. The law does not exist in a vacuum. The law exists in a social and political context. So you're now, saying they what, have to be what, political? What, what, what would be the implications and, and the consequences if they, if they left, Mr. Lytton? Well, that I can't anticipate, and I'm not in a position to judge. But what I would say is this, that whilst in the last, say, 18 months, the political situation in Hong Kong has radically changed, as far as the law is concerned and the exercise and practice of the common law, nothing has changed. And that the introduction of the national security law, uh, which as a set of laws is somewhat unfamiliar in a con common law context, because whereas in a common law context, legislation is drafted with far greater precision, the national security law leaves a, a lot of matters for judicial interpretation. But one thing is clear, the bulk of the cases that will uh, be decided under the national security law will go through the common law courts, exercising common law principles of, uh, of uh, fairness uh, to the accused, fairness to the system, the burden of proof being on the uh, prosecution, and of course the heavier the penalty, the graver the consequence, and the heavier the burden of proof. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you did write a, an editorial in the South China Morning Post back in June before, the, before you'd seen the national security legislation in which you, you, you said that Western leaders had been uh, too quick to uh, denounce the national security law uh, sight unseen and you said uh, that uh, it would take um, uh, more than uh, mere words to shake the foundation of uh, uh, the, uh, the government. Uh, the instance of a kid in the street with his placard bearing words like revolution of our times, no court in Hong Hong Kong would construe these words by themselves as having an effect of undermining the government. Uh, no court could attribute to that kid the necessary intent. Far more likely, he is simply confused or misled or yielding to peer pressure. The, the, the trouble is that since then, we've had three prosecutions for under the, exactly those circumstances. We have teenagers uh, who are being prosecuted for what they've said on, on social media. We have somebody uh, in court at the moment uh, charged with chanting. Uh, we have uh, somebody who flew a flag uh, who is uh, facing charges uh, relating to that. So it's exactly, it's, it's the words that, that uh, so far that, that are being uh, followed up uh, as uh, constituting subversion and offering some kind of threat to national security. So Western leaders were right to be worried, weren't they? Sir, haven't you rather contradicted yourself? They have been charged. What we're concerned is whether they will be convicted according to the principles of common law. Now, that has not happened. Unless, of course, sir, you equate charge with conviction, then you're absolutely right. In which case, you have in effect said the common law has been demolished beyond all recognition. 
And not only uh, in that case would the overseas judges resign, I imagine the whole bulk of the judiciary would resign if that is the law of Hong Kong. Well, you, you, sorry, you're saying that you're saying that if these people were found guilty in those circumstances, that would signal the the collapse of the legal system in Hong Kong. I don't think that at all. What I'm saying is that depending on the actual evidence adduced in court, and as to the criminal intent that accompanied the act, if if it's proved beyond a reasonable doubt, they should be convicted. Anything less, they have to be con- acquitted under the common law system. And that has not been put to the test. Uh, so, uh, as I said now, yeah. unless you equate charge with conviction, then I- I've got nothing to say. Okay, you, you say... You, neither with uh, Emily Lau, I imagine. Yeah, uh, uh, again, you said it as a matter of pure common sense. It would take more than mere words to shake the foundations of, uh, of the uh, Hong Kong government. Uh, I mean, a lot of people would say that. They would say, well, you know, a teenager posting something on, on social media doesn't pose an obvious, coherent, credible threat to, to the national, national security of our nation. Uh, and and, you're, and you're, you agree with that? Of course. Hmm. I've been saying that all along. And you quoted me as saying that. So by the same argument then, why would the British judges uh, excuse themselves before we have evidence of how the national security law will play out? Why wouldn't they wait to see? If they would excuse themselves, because no such case has gone yet before the Court of Final Appeal. Okay, um, Carrie Lam has said that the the presence of those non-permanent judges, those foreign judges, uh, manifests the judicial independence of Hong Kong, helps maintain a high degree of confidence in its legal system, allows Hong Kong to maintain strong links with other common law jurisdictions. Uh, Again, do you you agree? Uh, And if if that case, will their absence, uh, what will that manifest? I wholly agree with with, uh, what what you said and what Emily Lau said. But let me just... um, Point out one fact, though. Amongst the British com- uh, non-permanent judges of the Court of Final Appeal, there are those who are serving judges, and of course, for them to continue to serve in Hong Kong, they would need the consent of the government. But some of them are retired judges who are not under control of Dominic Raab, the Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs. So it would be up to their individual position as to whether they continue to serve. It is not in the gift of the British government to offer them up on a plate to us as a community. So those uh, retired judges uh, who are on the on the, the uh, court of final appeal list would be up to their individual decisions to make. Well, uh, there could be any number of reasons why. They may wish to step down, not necessarily step down, not necessarily do anything to do with the political climate in Hong Kong at the moment. What do you think of the fact that this is a very weird situation? You've got the you've got Beijing and and the Hong Kong administration uh, accusing the the British administration of having a colonial attitude, but wanting to retain these judges, uh, the foreign judges, and you've got the colonial power, so-called, um, you know, wanting, threatening to remove them. That's a weird kind of situation, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So you can say that Hong Kong itself is in a weird condition 
a weird situation, uh, one would say unique situation of a region of China being governed by a common law system inherited from the British colonial era and still uh, flourishing in the region today, inherited from a, a colonial uh, administration uh, with all its basic ingredients unchanged. Now, you can call it weird, you can call it unique. I would call it a great uh, point in China's favor overall of diversity, flexibility, and ability to change uh, according to the times. That is China's great asset. And that, that is Hong Kong's asset as well. And we contribute to China's development by our uniqueness as a community. Okay, uh, uh, number 233-88266. We've got a caller on the line now, Andy, I think. Andy, good morning. Yeah. Hello, good morning. Um, can I ask a simple question? The national security law was enacted by the NPC, and its official version is only in Chinese language. There's never been an official version in English. So does that automatically mean that no foreign judge on the Court of Final Appeal and no Hong Kong judge who doesn't read Chinese can ever consider cases involving the national security law. So was that not a backhand way of saying foreign judges can't deal with the national security law? Thank you. Mr. Litton? That's just complete nonsense. There is an English version, which everyone accepts is an accurate uh, translation. Uh, you don't expect the National People's Congress to actually uh, articulate in a, uh, a law which they do not use and cannot understand the language of. So what we do have is a, an accepted version of an accurate translation of a law which applies in Hong Kong. Where can we access it? Because none of us have seen it. Well, the liaison office has uh, put forward a, a translation which everyone accepts as accurate. Everyone? You don't. Uh, uh, we haven't seen it. And, and requests for clarification have not been forthcoming. Well, I, I can't help you on that. Andy, do you want to respond? Why? Um, but, I mean, can you really interpret a law if you don't understand the original language that it was written in? And, and also, you said that you can't expect the MPC to uh, issue a law in English. Well, they did with the basic law. That was issued in English and Chinese. Yes. Well, the Hong Kong courts uh, have uh, interpreted uh, directives uh, of the European Union in French, uh, judgments rendered in different languages. Well, uh, that, that is a practical system. We, we, we're not in, in, the, in the realm of theory. Uh, where you actually create problems in order to satisfy the conclusion you wish to reach. We are in a practical world operating a practical system for practical people to doing, who are doing practical business. And that's what uh, Hong Kong is all about. Okay. All right, well, anyway, uh, that was a genuine question on my part, and thank you very much, and we, we await the first case in the Court of Final Appeal with interest.
All right, and thanks. thanks very much indeed for your, for your, for your call. Uh, a comment from Bowen. It says, has Mr Lytton forgotten that the foreign non-permanent judges in the Court of Final Appeal are most likely to be included in the CE's list of national security law judges? They are most unlikely to be in a position to establish what the law and the national security legislation is. That is from uh, Bowen. Uh, uh, Emily Lau, uh, what about the point that uh, uh, Mr Lytton was making there, that um, the Secretary of State, I mean, the, the British authority can't compel these private citizens to, to, you know, to join or not join the court of final appeal here. And, and even then, uh, even if they can compel them, then that's the state doing it. That's not the judge's own decision. Uh, and so that's not really a reflection of, of uh, uh, trust in the Hong Kong judiciary. That might still be there. It's just that the government is not allowing it to be manifested. Well, uh my understanding, after talking to uh, various people in various countries, is that these judges, they will make their own independent decisions, including in the UK, although, you know, they are now sitting judges and not retired, as in other countries like Canada, but they will independently decide whether they will come or go. Uh, but in the case of Britain, because these are sitting judges, so the government may talk to them, consult with them, but ultimately it's up to the judge to do. I don't think there is any question of any government, whether it's UK, Canada or Australia, the, for the government to tell the judge, to compel the judge uh, to, to well, stay or to go. Well, that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying in their, in their statement. They're yeah, I, I think that is true. But, of course, they can talk to the judge, but ultimately it's up to the judge uh, and as for the language of the law, I think there is an English version, and maybe some people have uh, issued comments, but it, I don't think anybody has said that these uh, uh, non-permanent judge cannot fit in these cases. But I, I, I stand to be uh, corrected, so I hope RTHK will get a clarification from the administration on whether these overseas non-permanent judges can try such cases in the CFA. Okay. And as for the language, uh, they, they issued a white paper yeah, that's on not... one country, two systems in 2014 in seven languages. So if they want to, they can do it. All right, Mr. Litton. What, what about the other point that, was, that that has been raised? Of course, that the fact that you were you were uh, not exactly quoted, I suppose, cited by um, uh, Jiang Xiaoming uh, talking about the need for legal reform uh, in Hong Kong. What sort of legal reforms are you thinking of? What sort of legal reforms would you like to see in Hong Kong? Well, I don't think time permits uh, me to um, outline them at all. I've actually published two books um, where some of the reforms which uh, I would wish to, to see put forward have been uh, discussed and uh, adumbrated, uh, and uh, they are there for anyone who's interested to uh, look it up. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, uh, is Hong Kong sleepwalking? What was it? Hong <laughs> Kong sleepwalking. <laughs> uh, 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 I mean, one point. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I want to put a point to, yeah, to Mr. Little. Please, yeah, go ahead. He has been quoted or cited as saying that the Hong Kong judiciary has lost the trust of Beijing. Hence, of course, they need to do something to regain the trust. Is that what you said, Henry? What are you referring to? I was referring to Article 44 of the National Security Law. So what, what have they done, sorry, to, to lose the trust of Beijing? Well, that um, in relation to 
uh, a very small category of cases. Um, the uh, choice of um, tribunal would not rest with the Chief Justice of Hong Kong, but uh, with the um, uh, the National Security uh, Committee established in Hong Kong. Uh, I mean, how, to, to, to how be, come they've lost the trust of Beijing? What's Beijing got to do with how the courts behave here? Oh, the the actually the appointment is actually made by the chief executive of Hong Kong on the advice of that committee. And then what? Because they've the, lost the trust, uh, so the CE has to intervene to appoint judges judges that they trust that Beijing approves. Is that what you're saying? Not, not uh, Beijing approves. The chief executive exercises her judgment, right? But there is a committee that actually has some say in law matters concerning a very small category of cases under the national security law. But the responsibility for appointment with, with the chief executive and not with the chief justice. Well, I think if this is not handled properly, it may be the trigger for the departure of these non-permanent overseas judges. Well, you could be right. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why you suddenly say we, the courts have lost the trust of Beijing. I mean, that's a very, very serious allegation, Henry. What do you think it the is? judges are thinking when they read this? Sorry? Well, you said that the courts have lost the trust of Beijing. <laughs> what have they done? What, what what can they do to regain that trust? I mean, what's going on? The courts act independently to judge fairly and partially and so on, impartially. But but you know, you put this down, it's, it's very worrying. It's a very big allegation. I agree with you that it's very worrying. I've never said that the um, Article 44 is the only reason or only trigger. What I said was that it's the immediate trigger. And if you actually go more deeply into the issue of trust or mistrust, not only by Beijing, but really by the common person in the streets of Hong Kong, in relation to the way in which the superior courts in Hong Kong have um, in effect, abandon the principles of common law in favor of obscure um, ideological principles articulated in the Human Rights Court of Strasbourg. And the orders is dealt with in the two books that are published, the Hong Kong Judiciary, Free Walking to 2047, and, uh, and Freedom and Liberal Values 5, the common law crumbles. Now, the mistrust of the common man, I, I don't speak for people for Beijing, the mistrust of the common man uh, must be uh, deeply implanted if they only understood what has been going on in the Superior Court of Hong Kong in relation to the, in effect, subversion of the principles of the common law as applied in Hong Kong in favor of ideologies imported from European jurisdictions. Now, that is the seat of the mistrust, and 
the eventual manifestation of that mistrust is what we see in Article 44. Okay, well, uh, just a couple of comments uh, to uh, wrap up. Uh, Eric says, please ask Mr. Lytton why his views have changed so radically in the last six months, also similarly to those of Ronnie Tong. I think your listeners would agree, both would argue black is white. Could you ask Mr. Lytton what's changed, why he and they have changed his tune? Could could he also provide your listeners with a web link to the English translation of the national security law? And Martin says, in response to the statement that the UK government considers whether to remove British judges from Hong Kong courts, maybe Hong Kong should remove all of its judges from the UK and even the US courts in retaliation. Oops, I nearly forgot there aren't any, because neither the UK nor US have ever have never been colonised by China. It's time for Hong Kong to start a decolonisation programme so that one country, two systems can work without constant overseas interference. Neither the UK nor the US would accept a similar level of interference into their judicial systems and internal affairs. That is from Martin. Thank you very much indeed to uh, Henry Lytton, former judge of the Court of Final Appeal, and uh, Emily Lau, former Democratic Party uh, lawmaker. Reminder that uh, we, uh, we will have the policy address at 11 o'clock this morning. Stay tuned uh, for that. And I have been informed that, yes, we will have the Chief Secretary on Friday uh, for the uh, phone-in. So that should be between uh, 8 and 9 uh, on Friday. Your, talk to, your chance to talk to the uh, Chief Secretary, Matthew Chung, uh, himself, uh, for our special phone-in uh, this Friday. Looking forward to that very much. In the meantime, Anna, thank you very much indeed. Here's the weather. Mainly fine. 23 degrees, the latest readings, with a relative humidity of 81%. Due to the volatile COVID-19 situation, the public should stay at home and avoid going out, in particular elderly persons, as they have higher risk of severe illness. Family and friends should help them with shopping and other daily needs. If elderly persons must go out, they need to wear a mask and wash hands frequently. Pay attention to the latest situation. See a doctor promptly if feeling unwell, even if the symptoms are mild. Let's fight the virus together. 934, the news with Samantha Butler. The chairman of the Lang Kwai Fong Group, which operates bars and restaurants, says he's mystified as to why authorities shut down bars but not dance halls, where there's been a cluster of over 180 coronavirus cases in recent days. Bars, nightclubs and bathhouses will be forced to close from tomorrow, but authorities say it's difficult to close dance venues as not all of them have a licence. Alan Zeman says bars have been following all health guidelines successfully with zero COVID-19 breakouts, and he hopes the current round of closures will be short-lived. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, gives her delayed policy address this morning with one announcement expected to be subsidised jobs in the